Welcome to the Invino Fab podcast. I'm Laura. And I'm Patrice. Invino Fabulum means in wine story. And there are so many tales that need to be told about women from all walks of life and their communities, paired with wine, of course. The Invino Fab pod is a place to learn and a space to share stories about work, interests, passion projects, issues, and random wine facts. On this episode of Invino Fab, we're delighted to welcome Monica Marcellus Fuchman. She's the owner and founder of Sheldrake Consulting, a career coaching and consulting company. Monica is a certified professional resume writer, career coach, and Myers-Briggs leadership consultant. She started her company because she saw too many women floundering in the job search process. They were underselling their skills and experiences. Monica helps clients find and tell their career story so they can get unstuck and pivot to their next big thing. She provides resume and cover letter writing, interview coaching, and candid feedback focused on leadership development and career advancement. She devotes her free time to reading, writing, hanging out at the beach, and volunteering for the St. Baldrick's Foundation, which funds cutting-edge childhood cancer research. Welcome to the pod, Monica. We're so glad you can join Patrice and I to talk for InVinoFab. Thanks. I am so thrilled to be here. And yeah, I don't know if listeners can hear my smile, but I am just delighted and excited to be chatting with both of you. So thanks. I can attest to a smile. I feel like there's smiles on people's faces because we we should say we are recording on January 20th. And in America, it's Inauguration Day. It is an historic day, regardless of what you think or feel, regardless of your politics. It is history was made today. And that's exciting. How are y'all feeling? Hopeful, relieved, hopeful, excited, grateful, you know, as... Biden wasn't my choice uh, personally, but I think he's a good person for this time in our history. And I think it's important to talk about people's pain and to give people space to name whatever they need to name. Uh, Grief, relief, sadness, joy, energy, empathy, kindness, excitement, gratitude, the more that we name things and talk about them, the less power they have over us and the more we can move forward with them. So today I am wearing my pearls and I'm feeling relieved and hopeful. I had a a colleague sent out a message on Slack that said, happy new year. Today feels Mm. like the first day of a new, of a new year. Um, mm-hmm. And as you were mentioning your pearls, um, I know our listeners can't see, but I'll I'll show you. Um, my daughter's got me this sweatshirt that says "Smart Strong Women," and then follow la 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 Kamala." <laughs> awesome. So I wore that today, and we have a local brewery here called Lamplighter, and they have a brew um, it has a picture of Joe Biden on it, and it's cup of brew, and it has ale with cold brew in it, which would not normally be my first selection or choice. Um, But my son picked up a few of those for us. And I had ordered my daughters some wine glasses that have 40, the 46 on it from the the site. So we're going to do a little celebrating with those this evening. That's awesome. Yeah, I actually, we have two sons, um, 15 and almost 13. And so they are home doing school virtually. And I pulled the 15-year-old out of out of French class. And I said, you need to come watch this. <laughs> so, it, yeah, important for young girls, of course, but young men also to see, to see what's happening um, and yeah. to see what's possible. 
it is a historic day and we wanted to talk about that because there's a collective sigh of relief around the world um, because America, we're a big country in so many ways. Um, and so I'm glad we could chat about it. And now y'all know why Monica's on, on the pod today because we're going to talk about the fields and all the fields in a lot of way. Um, we read your bio and it says the things you do, but what's one thing that's maybe not in there that people don't know that much about you that you want to share? One thing I would say, or two things I would say, uh, one is that I was actually a fifth grade teacher in Goodyear, Arizona for a year. Goodyear is a uh, very rapidly growing suburb of Phoenix. And I participated in a, um, it was affiliated with AmeriCorps, um, but it was a year long uh, service program. And I lived in community with five other people in a very tiny house and was a fifth grade teacher for a year. And it was the best, hardest year of my life. Um, and really uh, set me on a course to have a career of service. Um, so that, that's one thing I would say that most people don't know about me. Uh, the other is that I have actually shaved my head three times. Um, you might know, but our, your listeners don't yet, but our older son is a childhood cancer survivor. And uh, childhood cancer research gets no funding um, very, very little funding from the federal government. Um, and the lion's share of it is made up by private citizens like us. And so um, after his diagnosis and recovery, I joined a group of women who raise money for the St. Baldrick's Foundation. Mm -hmm. And um, their signature event is head shaving. And so it was part of the national leadership team for that group of women for 10 years and shaved my head three times. So um pretty fearless when it comes to hair as a result, because once <laughs> once you've shaved it, you, there's no hiding. It's uh, hard to hide a bald head. So um, that might be something else that, that people don't know about me. It's also brave because you live in the Mitten, Michigan, where it's also cold much of the year. So if you have a shaved head, that uh, means you have some chapeaus, some hats for your head. Yes, yes, I do live in Michigan. I'm not a Michigander. I'm a transplant, born and raised on the East Coast and went to school in Boston. But yes, I do live in Michigan, um, who also has some pretty fierce uh, female leaders at this point in our history, which is exciting. Um, yes, I do live in Michigan. And yes, you need hats. You don't realize <laughs> how much of your body heat is lost through your head. Um, so if you're ever inspired to shave your head, you need a hat. I'm, I'm currently having the opposite problem. I haven't had a haircut since before the pandemic started, which I think <laughs> is quite possibly the longest I've ever gone. Well, and if you can try, don't cut it yourself. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm trying to hold out. It would, that would definitely be a disaster. Yes, right, I'm on my well, fifth I, self haircut. What are you talking about, ladies? I don't know what you're talking well, yours about. Yours looks yours looks quite good, but I I have been scolded by my stylist because she can tell when I cut my own bangs, and uh, she's you know she's she's always teaching me to not do that. Mm -hmm. Judgy stylist, eh, do what you want. I say that's it's a year to do what you want. Um, yeah. So what really interested me about Monica, besides all the cool things you've already heard, um, is the work that you do working with folks in careers in the middle. Um, it's something we've not talked about. And I know that you do a lot of this work because you are a full-time career coach. And so maybe you can unpack, like, what does that mean for your work? And maybe how did you get started in this area? Mm. 
Thanks. Yeah, well, and in the middle, I at this point, I'm in the middle of everything. So I'm 46, so midlife. Um, I live in the Midwest, uh, which I didn't grow up in. So that has been experienced to be a transplant and am mid-career. And mid-career is actually the biggest chunk of anyone's professional life. Um, so if you figure, you know, once you're five years into something, you're not new. Um, and then you're not senior, right? So you're mid-career. Um, and so really it is the biggest chunk of time that we spend, but it was also the least understood and the least researched. So how I got into it, I actually wrote my dissertation uh, about mid-career women in student affairs, which was the industry in higher education that I was in before I was a career coach. Um, Cause I really wanted to understand that middle um, it is the biggest chunk. It's also the most significant in terms of usually when women are mid, um, they are also having families if they choose to do so. Um, and also at a really important career juncture. So all of these things are spinning and swirling together at the same time, um, really important roles. And, but yet there's just this giant vacuous like space of knowledge um, lots of literature about early career people, lots of literature about senior end of career people, but nothing about the middle. So that's how I got into it. Um, and what that means for me as a coach is, is opportunity and excitement. Um, I love, love coaching mid-career people um, for all of those reasons. I think it's so interesting. It's exciting. It's challenging. Um, it's the good stuff. Um, there's so much to still figure out like you've you have a hopefully a strong sense of self but there's also still a lot of runway left um even thinking about my own career you know at 45 I still have another 20 years hopefully um that's a long time to still have left to to you know have a career so I just I love mid-career people I I think it's so interesting um I also really pride myself on being a safe space for people to land. Um, a lot of the women, especially that I coach, um, are looking for something, right? They're really thinking like, okay, is this really all there is? Um, and, you know, it may not always be safe to ask those questions at work, or maybe you don't have a mentor. Um, you know, maybe you're in a profession or an industry where you don't have someone that you can look to. Um, and so I, I really try to be that space and that place for people uh, who I coach. Yeah, I, that's, that's really interesting. So I, I'm in the learning design profession, which I'm, I don't think this is exclusive to that. But, uh, you know, a lot of people feel like they just don't know, like, what is the career pathway, right? Like, you know, what, what, what might you do at that mid-career point? Um, and I find in a lot of universities, there are, are no easy answers. Um, so I'm just wondering, you know, like what, what your thoughts are on that? What advice you might have for people who are kind of in that space? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and especially now it feels like things are even more precarious given, you know, the pandemic and what has happened to higher ed, um, hiring freezes, reduction in force. You know, my, my own husband took a, had to take a pay cut. Um, you know, thankfully still has a job, 
but yeah, the pandemic really pulled back the curtain on a lot of industries, um, higher ed, especially, uh, in terms of advice. Well, I guess the first thing I would say is don't do anything drastic and don't panic, <laughs> uh, which is I think just advice, good advice in general. Thing, thing, it won't always be this way. Things will, you know, especially with the vaccine now rolling out and hopefully I think even more aggressively with the Biden administration coming on board, um, things will go back to somewhat normal, um, but it will be different. Um, what I would challenge and encourage people to do, especially women, is to always be ready. Um, that's actually one of the biggest things that I think women um, and women in industries that were stable before the pandemic really took longevity and stability for granted, right? Oh, I work in higher ed. Um, I'm going to have this job until my kids go through college and then I'm going to retire. You know, I, I know that's certainly what I thought when I was in higher ed. Um, and I would suggest that that's dangerous and a bad idea and that you should always be ready. And by that, I mean, you should probably have a resume, you know, somewhat ready to go, <laughs> as opposed to a lot of my clients haven't worked on a resume in close to a decade. Um, and the rules then don't apply anymore. And the longer it takes you to get ready, the more time and money, honestly, and progress you're losing. So I really try to coach people to not get stale and to not think that what you're in is going to, you're going to be in it forever. Um, because I don't, that's just not the case anymore. And I think the pandemic really showed us all showed us that. I, I love that you use the term runway left, because I think it's like you saying what right now is getting ready to launch somewhere. Cause you could launch at any time and we're going to get into mm -hmm. the resume piece, but I want to ask you a question before we get to that. How do you distinguish between a mentor and a coach. Do you have a definition for that? Because I want to talk that out so our listeners get an idea of how they're different. Yeah, great question. I so my personal definition, I would say a mentor is someone who's usually a career, uh, but could be their life. Um, someone whose career you want to emulate. Someone who shows you what is possible. Right. So you're looking at that person and saying, oh, I admire how they did that. I admire how, you know, she went from higher ed to consulting or how she became the CEO. A coach is a guide and a partner thinking more of like a parallel, right? So like if a mentor is kind of like the next level up, maybe I see a coach as someone who's walking alongside you. Um, who is a partner and um, someone who can really hold you accountable. Uh, mentors can do that, sure. But a lot of times, um, sometimes even a mentor doesn't even know that you admire them or consider them your mentor. <laughs> uh, whereas a coach would really be someone whom you have entered into a true partnership with, you know, and at the end of the day, like I care deeply about my clients and I want them to be successful, but at the end of the day, the action that they take is up to them. It's my job to kind of provide this like buffet of possibilities and, you know, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? But in the end they choose. 
Cool. I, I love the idea of somebody who walks alongside of you. You're following my coach training to the T. I will say my only <laughs> caveat is mentoring. Mentors give advice. And I think mm-hmm. as a coach, you actually want your client to come up with their own solution. Right. And you want them to, like you said, work towards your own goals and do their own thing and drive drive the bus and you're just with them versus maybe a mentor saying, check this out or do this or blah, blah, you blah. You should do this, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's a yeah, great distinction, Laura. Thank you. Yeah, I, as a coach, I try to very rarely give advice, which throws clients for a loop actually a lot. Like a lot of people... Um, you know, especially if they're confused or overwhelmed and they're like, well, just what do you think? Tell me what to do. And that's, that's not my role at all. Um, my role is because I really believe that we know what we want and we know what we want to do next. It's about getting out of our own way and giving ourselves permission to go after it. Um, especially She's a good a coach. She's a really good coach, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, I try to give very little advice really because um, it's about unpacking what you already know. It's giving yourself permission to dream about it and then to get confident to go after it. Yeah. And the, the first time my first experience with a coach was several years ago when I was in a leadership program. And I remember that experience of me wanting them Yes. Give me advice. Tell me what to do. And that she just kept asking me more questions, which, you know, in the (laughs) end got was, you know, was successful in helping me figure things out. Um, But, but there is definitely a learning curve on the person being coached um, on their, on their part. Um, Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And unfortunately I've, I've, I've learned that as well. And some relationships didn't take off you know, and, and had I asked better questions up front, I would have figured out that they weren't ready to be coached. But yes, you're absolutely right, Patrice. It's it very much the person being coached, the coach E has to be ready and really has to be open. Um, yeah, I've, I can think of one person in particular who it's, it still hurts my heart a little bit, but just kind of like failure to launch because she just, she wasn't ready and really, um, really everything that I suggested or that we had mutually agreed upon, you know, was her homework didn't pan out because she didn't do it because she wasn't ready. Part of um, the coaching, and I suspect this is for you, um, is to go deep really fast. So we talk a lot of surfacing uh, in our conversations in our daily lives, not in this pod, because we're going to get into it. Um, What's a deep question you ask your client to challenge them right away? Because they're coming to you with a career, let's call it crisis, but it's not. What's a deep question you ask? What's some of the key questions? Yeah. It it can feel like crisis for them, Mm -hmm. Um, especially, you know, I've coached several people in toxic situations, um, in situations where it was very clear that their their runway was gone and they needed to go somewhere else. One of my favorite questions is, what are you afraid of? Uh, Whose voice is telling you that? And what's the worst that could happen? I love those questions, especially the last one. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, uh, Fear of failure, especially for women. You know, most of my clients, you know, I certainly have coached everyone. Um, Most of my clients, though, are are mid-career women. And yeah, we have very much internal, and especially women in helping professions, have very much internalized imposter syndrome and 
waiting to be deputized by someone else. And so there's very much fear of being found out and so, or fear of failure. Um, and so we, we hold ourselves back a lot. So I'm wondering, so I, I, I started out as a mechanical engineer um, and I do a lot of work with women in engineering and now I'm in the ed tech field. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I'm wondering, do you specialize in a specific um, discipline or area or do you work with women across, you know, across disciplines? Mm-hmm. I have worked with women across disciplines. Uh, I would say my specialties though are um, education, tech, engineering, and sales. And those tend to be the clients who who find me. Yeah, and women engineers, I actually was an academic advisor for engineering students um, way, way back when. And yeah, you're special people. (laughs) And I mean, it's not only that, profession, but definitely a lot of imposter syndrome. And, oh, sure. Yeah. Sure. Well, yeah, especially in a male dominated profession. Right. And um, especially, you know, reconciling a desire to help, to be helpful, to change the world through engineering by solving problems, right. With a, a, a field, a profession that doesn't historically think of itself that way. Yeah. That, there could be a lot happening there. <laughs> You'll not be surprised that we've talked about some of these things already. Imposter syndrome, um, finding a mentor sure. or sponsor on this podcast. And we'll link to some old back catalog episodes of uh, Patrice and I just chatted about. But I was wondering if you've noticed as the pandemic that's ever going from 2020 to this year, 2021, um, there's new things that are coming up with uh, clients seeking out a coach these days besides the crisis mode, which some of them probably are in. Um, what are some key things you're hearing from your coaches these days? Uh, the whole work from home. Um, yeah, let's talk about that because we haven't talked uh, about that yet. Some people love it and found that it really works for them. It works for their families. It works for their lifestyle. It works for their personal work habits and preferences. And then others um, cannot wait to get back into an office. I would say my own clients in my practice, what I am hearing more is I want to continue to stay home in some fashion. How can I negotiate that with my employer, you know, when everything is back open, quote unquote. Um, Also hearing from some clients whose employer has said, you cannot work from home ever. uh, And we will not even entertain that as an option. Um, which is really unfortunate and I think very, very short-sighted because um, really this pandemic has shown that people can work from home successfully. We knew that before. Actually, there was all kinds of data about that. Um, but this has really shown that work from home can be incredibly successful. And so companies that are refusing are really digging in their heels, I think, are showing themselves, right? They're, they're showing us their hand. And so we have to believe them. And um, that's unfortunate. And some, I think a lot of women, especially women who are mothers will be moving on from those roles that, that are showing that they can't be flexible. Yeah. An issue I noticed some of my clients are talking about boundaries. Like Mm -hmm. they used to have alone time, but now they don't. (laughs) 
And whether that's like from their staff online to uh, their child, to a partner who's like a child, maybe um, to like, they just don't have the time by themselves. And so they forget Mm -hmm. some of them are losing sense of self in these boundaries. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not sure. Yeah, if that was ever an issue coming up, but that's what I've noticed too, is because you're right, the work from home is like not just working from home, it's managing everything else that circles around you in that house. Right. Yeah. I mean, because right now we're doing everything from home, right? Yeah. And that's that's a great distinction. And what we're all doing right now isn't really work from home. It is, but it's work from home in a global pandemic <laughs> and schooling from home in a global pandemic, right? So I would suggest that people not rush because um, work from home, it, what we've been doing for the last almost year isn't work from home. It's work from home in a pandemic. Um, but so, but there are still parts of it that are the same um, in terms of the boundaries. Yes. That's, I think that's an issue all the time for all women, you know, especially we want to be helpful. We want to be seen as competent. And so going above and beyond and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Boundaries. I'm hearing that a lot from clients as well that, you know, how do I, and I, I deal with it myself. I've worked for myself from home for almost four years and I'll find myself answering email at nine o'clock just because my office is down the hall and it's right there. And there, you know, I'm not doing anything. I'm just binge watching Shit's Creek. I can answer an email while I'm doing that. Um, yeah. Boundaries. It's hard. It, it takes practice. I think that's the other thing important part of the boundary conversation that doesn't always happen is people say, Oh, we'll just set boundaries and you'll be fine. It's like, well, well, first of all, what does that mean? <laughs> you know, a boundary looks different to everyone and boundaries take practice. Like it's work to have a boundary, right? Um, it gets easier the more you do it, but you, it's still work. It's still something else that you have to work on. Um, so yeah, I don't listen know if that I answered your question at all. But. No, it did. Listen to that first year seminar student who had to do time management. It'll matter later on in life. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, well, and is, yeah. An important thing, I'm actually doing a time management workshop for, for um, a company in a couple of weeks. And really, time cannot be managed, right? I mean, time just is, right? Everybody has the same 24 hours. Everyone doesn't have the same social capital, to manage their time in the same way. So that's the other, that's one of the things I try to coach my clients too, is you can't manage time. You manage yourself um, and you manage your priorities and your decision-making. One of the things I've learned too, is that procrastination is actually not a time management problem. Um, it's actually an emotional regulation problem. And we procrastinate because we dread how we're going to feel when we do the thing that we're procrastinating. And that, that blew my own mind when I, when I read that. And if I think of the article, Laura, I'll send it to you after. (laughs) Please do. Um, Hey, I call it productive procrastination. I just do the other thing that might be more fun than the thing I want to do. So I know what I'm doing. I'm doing the thing that I enjoy. I will edit this podcast because it was a delightful conversation versus writing a book that's way overdue. I understand. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. But you know what you're doing. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's intentional. So in, in going back to, you know, thinking about working from home in the middle of a pandemic um, and for many, many women also homeschooling, mm-hmm. we've seen a lot of women leave the workforce, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're hearing story after story, the large numbers of women that are leaving the workforce. Um, uh, forced, forced out. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. And of course, yeah. you know, it, it, um, prior to this, many women make the choice to sure. temporarily leave the workforce. Um, do you, mm-hmm. as, as part of the mid career, I'm wondering, does that include women who are returning to work? Mm-hmm. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Before I get to that, I just want to say, cause I actually got into some Twitter and LinkedIn conversations about, you know, women leaving the workforce in the pandemic and I always push back and say, women didn't leave. They were forced out. Yeah. It's a good call. Right? Um, yeah. Because just complete lack of infrastructure in the United States that supports working parents, mm-hmm. especially working mothers. Um, and if you are in a traditional heterosexual dual earner couple, dual earner couple, um, more likely that as the woman, you make more than your male partner. So it makes sense, quote unquote, that you would be the one to leave. Um, but if that weren't the case, if there weren't still the, the gender equity pay gap, then maybe it might have been your male partner who left, right? So all that to say, women, some women did leave of their own accord. Yes. Mm-hmm. However, I think the vast majority were forced out by lack of infrastructure that supports working parents, especially working mothers. Um, to your point, do I support or have I spoken with or do I coach women coming back into the workforce? Yes. Absolutely. Um, Huge, huge challenge, huge opportunity also. Opportunity for women to reframe what they were doing when they were quote unquote not working Um, because every every mother works, Um, every woman works and how we need, how we define work, how we think of work needs to change. Um, I think that's a huge opportunity. Um, It's also a challenge for sure. You know, how do you put caretaking on your resume? How do you talk about the perceived gap quote unquote. So yeah. And there's actually also um, a colleague, a career coaching colleague who I follow on LinkedIn, who's actually um, really having that conversation on LinkedIn right now, which is exciting. And her argument is that even part-time work is good for everyone, Um, good for the company um, and good for, in in her example, it was working mothers, but good for them as well as as a way to kind of amp up that runway and to get back into full-time work. I also want to credit that people don't recognize besides being a mom, which is a job, volunteer and civic engagement work is also work. Mm -hmm. Like just because you don't get paid doesn't mean it's Mm -hmm. not valuable. And so it's funny. um, You must Mm -hmm. talk to clients about this too. Like what are the other things you do that they don't think is relevant to put on a resume? So Mm -hmm. I think we should get into that. (laughs) What are some other things you do to prompt people to think about their, their resumes? And you've got this fancy uh, initial title CPRW, which is certified (laughs) professional and resume rating. Is that correct? Yeah, certified professional resume writer. Writer. Okay, cool. Tell me about that and why the heck do you have it and what does that even do? <laughs> uh, so why the heck do I have it? Um, it was, first of all, it was great training for me personally. Um, so it was with the Professional Association of Resume Writers and Career Coaches. Um, and it was a test, basically. It was a giant packet of stuff that they sent me. Um, I studied the packet, submitted a sample resume and then passed the certification. Um, so first of all, I did it for me because it was it was great training. Um, and then second of all, I think it lends a layer of credibility to my work as a writer and as a coach. Um, you know, coaching is unregulated, right? Anyone can call themselves a coach. Um, and so I wanted to do something that was recognized by the general public, but also by my colleagues in the industry, right? That I took the time and energy to go through this certification process. 
what the certification has helped me do is peel back those layers when talking to a client. Um, and that's actually one thing that I encourage any listener out there who might be thinking about hiring a writer or hiring a coach is to ask questions about their process. I do all of my own writing. It's I am an N of one. Um, so my business, Celebrate Consulting, is me. So I'm interviewing all of my clients. I'm doing all of the writing, all of the editing, proofreading. Um, the advantage of that to the client is that I get to know you first before I dig in and start writing. And so I'm asking questions. Are you volunteering? What have you served on a board of directors? Are you the president of the PTA? I personally, I'm the president of my homeowners association, which that could be another whole podcast episode because it's, it's a mess, <laughs> but is, is community service, right? It's, it's, and it's a ton of work and it's a lot of politics. So asking those questions of my clients first before I start writing. Um, and I have not had a single conversation with a client where they haven't said, oh yeah, I forgot about that. Or, oh yeah, no one's asked me about that. Or, oh yeah, that's, that's relevant to what I want to do next. It's all relevant, all of it. It's all experience and it's all skills that you're getting. The job of the writer and of the coach is to spin it into fancy current modern language that speaks to the needs of the employer. And I would, in my experience, women especially don't think of those things. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you think about guarantee that we know someone who's the Girl Scout troop leader, right? And right now it's Girl Scout cookie time. That's a full-time job, yep. <laughs> right? And these women, there's men too, of course, usually women, but they're setting up websites. They're like processing orders. They're, you know, money is changing hands or they're doing it on Venmo or they're like setting up, you know, there was a joke on Twitter, like they should put the Girl Scouts in charge of the vaccine because everyone would get it because those Girl Scouts are everywhere. <laughs> Um, but it's true, right? They, they know what they're doing. It is a well-oiled machine. Um, but all of that is skills and experience that would translate to a potential employer. So do your clients come to you like with a resume already? Do you ask them for that? Like this is, so this is a new fascinating way that you coach that I don't coach. So I'm, I'm trying to pay, peel back your process. So like, do you say, come with your resume or your LinkedIn profile or what do you recommend? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, both. And I'm so glad you brought up LinkedIn. Uh, yes, both. Um, sometimes a client will have nothing. Again, you know, that mid-career person who hasn't searched in 10 years. Um, so we're starting from scratch. Um, others will have some version of a document that needs to be updated. Um, yeah, it just depends on where they are in their own writing process, what role they're applying for. Um, but yeah, I've done it all. I've I would say most clients, and this gets back to my earlier point about being ready, uh, most clients don't have a resume and we're starting from scratch, which is great for me because I love it and I'm, I'm good at it. But yeah, everyone should have some sort of document ready to go. <laughs> so going back to the a little bit um, of a distinction, I know sometimes there are resume writers uh, right. Uh, possibly as opposed to like working on your resume with a coach. And so mm. similar to like my first experience with a coach, um, the first time I worked with someone on resume writing, I think, and they returned it to me with suggestions as opposed to like, say, actually like rewriting it for me. 
Mm-hmm. Um, like, how do you set those expectations? You know, what do you like? How do you work with a client um, in in updating their resume? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great point, Patrice. Thank you. Well, so I would first, there's a difference between an update and a rewrite. So if a resume needs an update, meaning it's like 85%, 75% there, but needs like some modern oomph, maybe a different layout, different font, um, more direct language, an update is something that I would coach a client through. And then they would do on their own after and then send it to me for review. And this, this is my process as, you know, Sheldrake Consulting. This is what I do. Um, so I can't speak to how other writers do it. A full rewrite, which is what most people end up needing. Um, my process is, again, I interview my client first. Um, that's almost an hour long conversation. And then I write the document. So I'm physically opening a new blank word document and writing and taking everything that they have told me in that interview and turning it into resume language. And then I send it to them and then we do that process again. So my process is two phone calls and two edits to the document. Really hands-on. This is like, uh, this is amazing. My clients are going to jump to you. No, because it's something that (laughs) I will want. I want people to distinguish that this is something unique when you are interviewing coaches in general. Um, Mm -hmm. You're right. Credentials are loose and fast in this world um, is to ask them the questions of like, what is that process and what does this look like? And what will I need to bring to the table? What will you, Mm -hmm. the coach bring to the table? Um, So this is fascinating to hear you go through and I'm like, huh, interesting. Um, Yeah. Yeah. What's your process? That's such an important question for the client. Right. And I have a service agreement. It's two pages and it outlines, this is what you're bringing. This is what I'm bringing expectations, deliverables, timelines, I don't do any work until I have payment and until I have the signed service agreement. And so that's something else to watch out for, for your, you know, for listeners is buyer beware. You should, you should absolutely interview your writer and your coach. You should check out their website. They should be willing to show you examples of previous work, uh, names and contact information of previous clients. You know, my personal LinkedIn page has like 50 plus recommendations on it. And there's testimonials on my website um, so, and that, I mean, that's out there, that's just there for public consumption anytime. Um, and so I, you know, I would be wary of any coach or, or writer who doesn't have that or isn't willing to share it with you. Thanks for saying that, because I think some of our listeners might be considering, um, hiring a career coach or a writer or both. And I think that's just general good practice overall, mm-hmm. if, as you look yeah. and examine, and I don't know if we are unpacking some of your past experiences, Patrice, now you want to talk through these things. This sounds more therapeutic. It's not my coaching realm, but, um, is there things that like you would ask like a career coach or someone who does resume writing, Patrice, that you, you want to ask about? Well, I think, I think the question about process and what you like what the coach is expecting you to bring to the table and what they are going to do specific to your needs would be a really important, um, really important piece of it. Mm -hmm. Um, I, you know, I also, you know, I I would also ask questions, uh, you know, like I asked that question earlier about discipline, you know, and, you know, um, sometimes it can be helpful again, depending upon like what your specific needs are, you may want to work with somebody who works with a lot of clients in your discipline, who knows the field, who maybe even has some like, you know, contacts in the field, uh, you know, um, 
that kind of thing. Um, Something I think, especially um, now with um, the pace at which many of us are working and the lack of control we have over our own own calendars, um, I think things, so for example, like let's say that we had a meeting scheduled for Thursday at two. Like, what is your cancellation policy or your mm-hmm. reschedule policy? You know, is it mm-hmm. I have to cancel within 24 hours or I get charged? You know, I think things mm-hmm. like that, which maybe are in your service agreement, would be mm-hmm. um, would be important to ask. And yeah. also, you know, depending upon your schedule, I think just a basic like availability. You know, is are they what hours do they have appointments? Like, some people may need somebody who's available on a weekend, for example, to meet because they can't meet. Um, during the, during the, during the weekday. Mm-hmm. Or even yeah. how many clients or what kind of time or how we communicate with me. Like these are all things to think about as you, yeah. you talk to folks. Yeah. Is there anything else you yeah. recommend clients to ask around? Cause I tell my client, my potential coaches to shop around. Would you mm-hmm. tell them anything else oh, to yeah. ask? Um, well, no, I say that too. Like, um, and I would say actually most of the potential clients that I speak with are shopping around. Um, and I always say, good for you. You should. Um, and I use the word investment a lot, coaching, writing, of course, but coaching, it's an investment. It's an investment in you and your future. And if you view it that way, you'll make a better decision. And I also, I really want to encourage women, especially mid-career women, um, to view themselves as worthy of the investment. You know, whether that's with me or another coach, um, it really is about finding, to Patrice's point, finding that right fit for you. Um, but so many people, I cannot tell you how many women hem and haw. Oh, I'll get back to you. Let me think about it. I need to talk to my partner. I need to talk to my husband. I need to talk to myself. I need to talk myself into it. I get it, especially now. You know, times are tough, right? Global pandemic, like all of that. I, I get it. However, how much are you losing by not investing in yourself, right? How much, you know, if you, if you make $100,000 a year, is it really that big of a stretch to hire me to write a $600 resume? No, it's really not. Right. Yeah. Um, And, but to flip the script that we're telling ourselves and to, it's an investment. It is an investment in you and in your future. And too many women, it has been my experience. Too many women do not see it that way. And again, they hem and haw and what do you, you're wasting time. Yeah. And in the end, you're losing money and you're losing momentum mm-hmm. the longer you wait. So, you know, if we're a fit and you hire me, great. I would be honored and flattered by that. But, you know, maybe it's someone else and that's great too. But it really is an investment. And I, I want to challenge and encourage more women to think of themselves that way. Yeah, I, I would agree. Um, I think we spend so much money on other things that's probably not right. worth the same amount of time. And this is a professional, this is part of your career advancement, professional development and growth. And it's really mm-hmm. customized and tailored. So I love that you put it that way. You did say it's a yeah. pandemic though. So let's say <laughs> <laughs> money is tight or we don't have a job. Um, is there anything that mm-hmm. you could share like a resource with our listeners that are kind of like, I don't got $800, Monica, but right. um <laughs> Is there anything else you could share with our listeners that might help them out? Sure. Absolutely. Well, I would say three things. Um, The first is I created a resume writing workbook um, for that very reason. Um, And what I did was I took my process. um, And so the process that you would get with me if you hired me as to do the writing for you and took it step by step and turned it into a workbook. 
Um, and at the end, if you do the steps in it, you will have a modern resume that will get results. Um, and so that's available from my website for instant download for $19.99. So 20 bucks, you can kick your 2020 document to the curb and write a better one. Um, so that's the first thing is resume writing workbook. Uh, the second is I do offer a power hour. Um, and it's exactly that. It's we get in there, we do what we can in an hour. Um, and that's only $149. Um, and then the third thing, um, I was very fortunate to be asked to be part of job scans. Um, they did a really just power event it, right uh, as the pandemic was really just starting in March. Um, and so they asked 15 coaches and writers to provide their services for free. Um, and I was asked to do one on cover letters. So I did an hour long webinar on cover letters. Um, it's on YouTube, as are all of the other 14 coaches who provided information about resumes, cover letters, interviewing. It was a huge, huge service that JobScan provided for free. Um, mm -hmm. All of the, the recordings are available to anyone on YouTube at any time. Really, really amazing, amazing people in the industry participated in that. So I would encourage people to check those out. Sweet. We'll definitely link to those in the show notes. Thanks for sharing those. And JobScan, just for listeners who might not know, is one of the companies that you can um, feed your resume into and it will score it for you. Um, you know, we've all heard of ATS, Applicant Tracking System. Um, so JobScan is a tool that job seekers can use to um, view their own application documents and it will it will give you a ranking about how basically how well you have met the ATS requirement. Sweet. You know, the Patrice and I are going to put our stuff through there, even though we're not searching. I'm just curious. Yeah. Well, but <laughs> you know. should, you should be ready, right? You yeah. should, because I, again, I cannot tell you how many clients have come to me. Actually, there's one I'm negotiating with right now. She needs a resume by Monday. <laughs> I have the bandwidth, but there's, there's going to be a surcharge for that, right? Cause you're rushing it. So the process is going to be a little rushed and, you know, I get it. But at the same time, like you're just doing yourself no favors when you have to rush, right? No one does good work when they are rushed. You know, if perhaps this person were farther along, she might not have needed my help. And then, right. So, and I, I don't want to shame anyone. That's, that's not my style. And that's not what I'm trying to say, but just myself included too many of us, we aren't updating our, our references, our LinkedIn profiles, our resumes, our cover letters, they're just sitting there. And then an opportunity comes along and we have to panic um, to get caught up. So real time, real talk. Uh, how often do you update your own resume and or LinkedIn roundtable? I do like mine almost monthly. Awesome. Um, not monthly, but um, I update it every time. Uh, like, so for example, if I publish an article, I've, I've now gotten in the habit of updating that right away. Awesome. Um, Good for you. So things like that. If I go to a conference, if I present, um, yep. you know, that, that kind of thing. And I have tried to get in the habit and I tell um, people on my team to do this, to take notes throughout the year, because many of us, um, it's, it's useful for updating your resume for performance review for all sorts of things, right? Like at the end of the yep. year, it's hard to remember, like, what did I do this year? Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, well, LinkedIn, I am on LinkedIn daily. 
that's not an exaggeration. Uh, so mine's current. Uh, resume, quarterly. So I need to follow my own advice. <laughs> quarterly is not bad. I think, yeah, capturing what you do over the year is hard. So maybe a quarterly is even a good push. Mm-hmm. No, that's good. Before we wrap up and say goodbye to you, we have some like common questions we always ask. And so um, we're just going to go through them. I didn't know if there's anything that you're working on or anything percolating in your world that you want to share before we close out. Yes, there is actually. So um, because, you know, my expertise and my sweet spot and my favorite are mid-career professionals and a resume is just part of your strategy, right? It's, it's easy to hang our hat on it because it's tangible and you need a resume, but that's not the only thing that you need. So I am in my head putting together a mid-career um, mastermind, which would be a small, intimate group coaching program, about six to eight weeks. Um, and we, we would go through all of the pieces of a search, right? So strategy, resume, cover letter, LinkedIn, networking, interviewing. So I'm still figuring out what that might look like and how to how to get people, you know, how to hook them. But that is something that I would like to do this year. Well, we'll share it when you have that ready. So happy to put well, it on the network. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. And then again, the workbook, you know, I really, I hope that people, it's, I've gotten good feedback so far and I hope that people will treat themselves to a $20 workbook that can make a big difference in their document. Another question that we like to ask is a favorite sitcom or what you're watching. And you had earlier mentioned binge watching Schitt's Creek. Um, yes. so Youngest daughter and I are currently um, are currently watch are currently watching that. And of course, with the pandemic, many of us feel like we've seen everything. And we don't know what to watch mm-hmm. next. So um, I yeah. am curious um, if you have you know if you are watching something, what you're watching, um, and what your favorite beverage might be to have while you're relaxing. Yes. Well, I, um, I am not someone who's current on whatever's popular. So it's just, it's funny to me and perfect that I'm like five years late on the Schitt's Creek bandwagon. (laughs) (laughs) But when I do something, I like go all in. So I've already watched the entire series and have started over. (laughs) Um, But it is just, it's giving me life. It's delightful. It is fabulous writing. I love the humor and the quick wit. And I love shows that like challenge you like that and circle back in on themselves. And if you're not paying attention, you're going to miss something. Um, so Shit's Creek for sure. I also watch uh, This Is Us mm-hmm. and uh, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which I actually just saw today is filming season four. So I'm excited about that. Um, and favorite beverage, Old Vines and Findels. Mm. Um, is my is my go-to uh, quick story where I live in the mitten does not have the best food so you have to go to a major metropolitan area so either Grand Rapids or Detroit to get really high quality especially Italian food Italian food is my absolute favorite to eat out so my husband for my birthday a couple of years ago found a restaurant an Italian restaurant near Detroit. And it literally had like the little old lady with the blue hair in the front window, making the pasta. Mm. So amazing, amazing food. We sit down, the waiter says, you know, what would you like to drink? And we say, Oh, suggest something. Well, he comes over with, it was from clinker brick is the, is the winery. And it was an old vine Zinfandel. I had never had one before in my life. 
it's amazing. It is my favorite. It is my go-to. And I was so proud of myself because I pulled out my phone and I, you know, wrote myself a memo and then I found it at our local grocery store. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. <laughs> um, so that's, that's the go-to. And then, you know, a good California cab set is always a good backup. That's, that's a good. solid backup. I'm going to put that on my list as well. So I was like, I'm hmm, going to check that one out. Good. Yep, um, yep. And finally, in these trying times, what's something that's kind of bringing you joy? Um, my cats. <laughs> Tell um, us about your cats because you, you have a cat mom, Patrice, here as well. I, I, I know I'm turning into a cat woman, um, but I didn't grow up with pets. And so... Um, they, we have two cats, Willie and Violet, and Willie is a slightly overweight male tabby. He's gray and black, and he has beautiful, beautiful markings, and he's got, like, the, the black M, like, on his forehead in between his eyes. Um, and he he has fear of being included. <laughs> and then our second cat, our second cat, Violet is she's, she must've been the runt of the litter, but she is tiny, tiny, tiny. She weighs like seven pounds, um, all black, um, and has fear of missing out. Mm. So they are like the polar opposite. Um, but they're just funny and hilarious and cute. And Willie will snuggle next to you as long as you don't touch him. <laughs> and Violet wants to be pet all the time, but refuses to snuggle. Um, and they're just, so they're just hilarious. Uh, so I would say my cats and then total splurge. Uh, my husband convinced us that we needed a hot tub and he was absolutely correct. Um, we, I, we are not splurgers. We do not put anything on a credit card ever. Um, but we put a hot tub on our credit card. <laughs> In the pandemic. And it just, and again, in Michigan, it's cold, it's gray. Um, so to have a tub with bubbles to go into at night has been, that was a good choice. He bullied me into it, but it was a good decision. Mm. Oh, that's awesome. I know we're visiting. We're in Michigan in the winter. Sounds good. Oh, please do. I would absolutely <laughs> love it. It would be so fun. Well, thank you so much for taking time out of your day thank and chatting with us. Um, we'll be sure to link to all the amazing things you've talked about, included how people can find you and all that good stuff. Um, so we're really grateful on behalf of our listeners. Thanks for coming to talk to the Invino Fab crew. Thank yeah. you so much, Lauren Patrice. It was great. So great to be here. Thanks. To catch the next episode, be sure to subscribe to InVinoFab wherever you get your podcasts. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at InVinoFab and we'll always welcome comments and messages sent by tweet, private message, or email at InVinoFabulum at gmail.com. Cheers! Cheers! <laughs>